Welcome to Step Into the Story, incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Well, welcome to Step Into the Story. I'm your host, Phil Tuttle with Walk Through the Bible, and I've been looking forward to this episode ever since we started talking about putting this podcast together. My mentor in the faith was a man named Dr. Howard Hendricks. He's the reason I went to Dallas Seminary in the first place. I took every course that he offered. There is not a week goes by that I don't use the training that he gave to me. Um, He's the one who ignited my passion to study God's Word and also to share God's Word. And um, little did I know until I got down there that um, his wife is just as gifted a communicator as he was and um, definitely a better writer. And you've heard it often said that behind every great man is a great or greater woman and and a surprised mother-in-law, but that part is extra credit. Um, But today we get to have a conversation with Jean Hendricks. Jean, welcome to Step Into the Story. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I don't know why the Lord keeps me around, but I am sure delighted that I can be with you. Well, I know we're never supposed to ask a lady her age, but um, when you celebrated your most recent birthday, how many candles were on the cake? Well, of course, they've run out of candles by now, but... uh, now, in about one month, I will be 94. Wow. It's like well, looking down a whole century. <laughs> no, nah, that's thrilling. I'm, I'm so glad that God has uh, continued to extend your life, and you are, you are finishing strong all the way to the finish line, wherever that may be. Um, by God's grace, yes. Just by background. Um, Dr. Howard Hendricks, I meant what I said. Um, I took every course that he offered. Um, When I graduated from seminary in 1984, Gene, um, I don't know if you knew this was happening or not, but uh, when you're 24, 26 years old, people seem old, even if now it turns out they weren't even old at the time. But uh, my friends and I, we had several conversations about how blessed we were to have Prof, as we all called him, Prof Hendricks, Howard Hendricks, that maybe we were the last graduating class that would ever get to have him. Um, Turns (laughs) out he had been there 28 years, which was longer than most of us had been alive. That was still the end of the first half um, because he actually taught there 56 years. And so um, we were just greatly underestimated it. And for those of you who are listening, go ahead, what? I was going to say they gave him when he retired. They gave him credit for sixty years because he had started when we he became a pastor after he graduated. But they brought him back on the midday, midweek afternoons to uh, teach because we were just forty miles away. Uh, so he actually taught for sixty years. Wow! Wow! You know. Um, for those of you listening who ha- may not have heard of Dr. Howard Hendricks, um, if you are a Christ follower, you've probably 
been impacted by one of the folks that he trained. I mean, there's familiar names like Chuck Swindoll and Andy Stanley and Tony Evans and Joe Stoll, some of America's just most loved communicators, all would trace their DNA back to Prof. Howard Hendricks. And so this is a man, though he's been in, in glory for several years now, that his impact continues here in America and all around the world. And um, Gene, I frequently heard Bruce Wilkinson, who founded Walk Through the Bible, say, without Howard Hendricks, there would be no Walk Through the Bible. It just simply wouldn't exist. And um, your husband impacted Chip Ingram, who was the second um, president of our ministry and then had an enormous impact on my life and my wife's life. Uh, a few years ago, somebody challenged me to draw my own personal Mount Rushmore and to put um, the four faces on there. I couldn't draw. I just did names and stick figures. Um, but to put the four people on there who had had the greatest influence in my life. And right next to my dad, Gene, was, was your husband, Howard Hendricks, because he was the one who just found the on button to um, motivate me. And that continues to this day. Oh, I'm so thankful for that, yes. So, Gene, you were no doubt, um, you had an amazing seat to watch all of that unfold. But let's let's go back earlier in your life. Um, where did you grow up? And tell us some about the early years of your life. Well, it's kind of a, a long, convoluted story. <clears throat> I uh, I went to Sunday school since I could remember, and I was very impacted by the fact that Jesus loved me. Jesus wanted me for a sunbeam. He, I was one of his precious jewels. And um, I was, uh, uh, but I was, as, as I began to read, and I was given a, a little Bible for perfect attendance at Sunday school, um, I got to the third chapter and I felt, oh no, God has made a mistake here. Uh, this couldn't be. All she did was eat a piece of fruit, and uh, God locked them out of the garden. So uh, being the question mark that I am, uh, I decided to uh, ask God about that as a very young child, because all I knew had been told, and of course I went to church every Sunday, no, no junior church. I sat beside my parents, and we <laughs> sang the doxology, and we said the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, etc. Uh, so uh, I felt like I could talk to God. So I told him in sort of a very childish way that I really didn't appreciate what he had done there in the Garden huh. of Eden. <laughs> and um, it's so amazing as I look back now, you know, at my age, it's like I've got a wide-angle lens and... Um, I realized that God wants to be personal with us. And there was just this impression that he gave me, you need to read the rest of my story. So, of course, I uh, plotted my way through Exodus, but I confess that I, slotted, I I just I quit in Leviticus. I quit because I couldn't make it. So um, as time went on, I still loved the Lord, but I sure did not understand what was going on as far as the Christian life was concerned. 
And then things began to uh, sort of come apart. For a long time, I was ashamed to say that I grew up in a blue-collar family. Uh, my father worked for the transportation company, and um, when I was eight years old, uh, I ceased to be the favored little youngest child. I got I had a younger sister, so that did not help me. That same year, my older sister, three years older, uh, contracted a uh, very serious rheumatic fever and was in bed. And that very same year, my father, who I just loved and adored, um, he got appendicitis, mm. which turned into peritonitis. And uh, the, my mother told me that the doctor said he probably wasn't going to live. And it was like my world was coming in around me. So I began to um, question God and to try and pray, but I was confused. And um, I I got to the place where I, I was very uh, worried whether if I died, whether I'd go to heaven. So I was listening as I lived in Philadelphia, and we at that time there were just a lot of preachers on the radio. And there was a preacher who was giving a children's sermon, and he explained the matter of how we are saved. And so on the strength of John five twenty four, he who hears my word, believes on him that sent me, has everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So I ran upstairs to be kneel by my bed and tell the Lord that I really, really, really wanted to be his child. And then when I got to the um, end of it, I said, but Lord, there's just one thing, like a P.S. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm making this up in my head or whether you really hear me and you're doing something for me. I don't know. And I got to know. And then I left. And the very next day, this is incredible as I look back on it, the very next day, I'm walking by the same radio, and I'm hearing another preacher saying, and you can know that you are a believer, wow. a child of God, on the strength of Romans eight sixteen, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And from that moment on, I was very sure that I was a child of God. So that's how I became a believer. But uh, just to fast track a little bit, I got into my teen years, and uh, we were facing World War II. All the 18-year-olds were being uh, uh, conscripted into the military, and the women at our church, some of whom had remembered that in World War One, a lot of the men did not come back. And the idea was you got to get your son married before he leaves. Hopefully, uh, she will be pregnant. At least if he doesn't come back, we will have a grandchild. And I was slated for a, um, a marriage. And I uh, was terrified because I had dated this young man. He was not the, he was a gentleman only on Sunday. And <laughs> it was wow. a, it was a situation that just terrified me. In fact, I told my mother, he wants to marry me, mother, and I just don't want to marry him. And she said, well, honey, don't worry. You know, it's not like you got to do it tomorrow. Uh, and that worried me worse because the idea was you will do it, but not right now. Mm. 
Well, I began to pray. I mean, I had never prayed like I had began to pray. And uh, just to make a long story short, our family used to camp in the western in the mountains of western Pennsylvania every summer near a Christian conference center. And on the very last night of the conference, it was Sunday night, and we had a special missionary speaker, and he came and told his story. It was the most amazing thing. He had been on a ship in the Atlantic Ocean, a hospital ship with children, and the German subs, which were all over the Atlantic Ocean, had torpedoed the ship. He landed in a lifeboat with a bunch of children and uh, later escaped from a POW camp and had for weeks made his way across Eastern Europe and Mongolia and so forth and eventually into the west coast of the United States. Everybody thought he was dead. And here he was speaking to us about what God had done. One miracle after another is just incredible. And the place was electrified with this message. And I'm sitting there as a teenager worried about the fact that I'm going to have to get married to this man. And at the end of it, he said, no, if there's any young person here who is worried about your future, I want you to stand up. Now, my little church, we never did anything. You know, the, the audience never did anything except by responding to some ritual. And, um, but I stood up. I was absolutely beside myself about what I was going to do. And when I went to the front and assured him that I was a born-again Christian, he said he opened his Bible. He pointed out to Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work and you will perform it to the end of Jesus. But, but you will perform it to the, the end of Jesus Christ. Mm. So... I don't know what happened. I don't. I, I don't accept it. I never had miracles happen to me. But between that time, <clears throat> the time I went back home, I told the young man, "I am not going to marry you. In fact, I'm not going to marry anybody. I'm going to be a Christian missionary alone, a single missionary." Hmm. <laughs> and uh, oh. that was my firm conviction. I at that time I was a teenager, but I. I enrolled in Bible school and in evening classes and began to study and with a firm conviction that men were not going to be in my life. Uh, and that was, <laughs> that was <laughs> you know, there you, was, there you go, Gene. I, I love the fact in your story, um, whether it's just feeling like God overreacted to Eve clear back in Genesis and, yeah. you know, but you were you were bold enough to express your doubts to God. And, yeah. you know, so many of us, it's easy to want to proofread our prayers. And you <laughs> articulated, I think, what everybody feels from time. And, you know, I, I can remember reading the Psalms and going, how did this stuff from David get in That's here? Right. He's, he's got worse doubts than I do. Does God know these verses are in his book? And, you know, you just threw it out there. And, uh, you know, all God asks is that we be open with our questions. He can handle those questions. Just please be equally open when I answer. And your life is one of the clearest demonstrations of that. Uh, 
So you've, you've renounced men. You're going to go the, the solo missionary route. Um, That's exactly right. And I was totally, uh, uh, I was totally sure of my, I mean, I felt sure of myself at that point. And so uh, I had gotten rid of all the boys in my life. Uh, <clears throat> and I uh, went to Bible school and then the war happened and I, uh, everybody had to work. So I, I couldn't go to college, but I wanted to go to college. When the war was over, <clears throat> I enrolled in a little school, in a little college up in New York State. <clears throat> I was writing for the school paper, and um, I had a, a, a I had a weekly date with the president of the school to get a story. And his like every Friday afternoon, I went to his office, and uh, he gave me his story. And one day, he said to me, "You." You're like a fish out of water in this place. You belong at Wheaton College. Now, <clears throat> um, I said, why? And, of course, he just routed off the fact you're the only person on this campus from a big city. Every, this is a rural campus, plus the fact it was a very different denomination from the church that I had come from. I was a fish out of water. He said, I'm sending your name over there to Wheaton, and you show up there next September. Well, <clears throat> in the meantime, I had been uh, very active in Christian Endeavor, which was a national youth organization in Philadelphia. Um, and uh, I was in the West. We were divided into um, branches. I was West Branch. And uh, Howard Hendricks actually was from the northeast part of the city. Uh, I didn't know who he was. He was always on the platform, though, leading singing, telling jokes, singing solos, whatever. <laughs> uh, everybody was crazy about him. I thought he was 20-something years old. Um, but he announced one night that we were going to all be invited to a big uh, dinner downtown at a hotel because they're having a special speaker for young people. So hundreds of us show up there, and <clears throat> who come, sure enough, this, this young man was introduced. Howie was the MC of the evening, and he introduced Jim Rayburn, who came to tell us about Young Life, mm -hmm. which was the new ministry for your high schoolers. Well, if you know Young Life, they have a lot of fun all the time. And that night they were having a question and answer, a rigged Q&A. And they were looking for the shyest little girl in the room. I was sitting at the very back table. Um, the spotlight went around on others, and I tried so hard to be invisible. But it landed on me with my blonde hair, and I was sure I was bright red with embarrassment. <clears throat> and if you've ever seen <laughs> a suspect being ushered into a squad car, it was me going to the platform. Anyway, uh, they asked me the question. Um, I gave them the answer. It was a wrong answer, of course. And I argued with them that it was the right answer until the whole place was just uh, coming down with riotous laughter. And the MC of the evening said to his buddy, who is that girl? Oh, boy. And he said, I don't know. I mean, nobody knew me. Uh, who is that girl? I don't know, but uh, I'll find out for you. So five months later, our little West Branch is having our 
little usual annual Labor Day retreat in the Pines of New Jersey. And who shows up as the guest song leader? As this guy, Hendrix. And I wondered what he was doing there. He didn't belong to our group, but he did his usual thing. And he made an announcement that uh, on Sunday night, the last after the benediction, we would go down to the lake and have a, a, a thing. And after that night, so we were to be reminded to bring our flashlights. So Sunday night, after the benediction, he walks up to me and says, in very gentlemanly tones, excuse me, but I forgot my flashlight. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot it in a nearby (laughs) trash can, no doubt, yeah. (laughs) May I share yours? Well, that night I learned he had just graduated from high school. He was only 18 years old. And he said, I'm leaving next week for Chicago. I'm going to be a freshman at Wheaton College. Could I write to you? And I'm thinking, you know, First of all, all the co-eds on the campus, uh, why would he want to write to me? Uh, but I was so shocked that I, okay. So uh, long story short, weeks later, I get a, uh, not I mean, next week, I get a letter from him, a very nice, friendly letter. So I, I waited, and then I answered, and it went on. At Christmas time, he came home, and, and uh, he visited me. And he was so gentlemanly, just absolutely fantastic. So the uh, it, it went on. It took us five years to get this all together, Phil. Uh, but I went to Wheaton College. I found out when I got there that he was also serving as the youth leader for a, a nearby church on Sundays in Aurora, Illinois. And he said, um, and by the way, they, we need a... Um, a teacher for our, one of the little girls' classes, and so I've enlisted you, which, of course, meant that each Sunday I had to ride with him out to the Aurora. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was, as you look back on it, it, it really is comical. But uh, the Lord was in the whole thing, and uh, it took us, as I said, I just wanted to be his friend. and But meanwhile, I'm praying like mad. Lord, I thought we had this arrangement, you know, I'm not going to get married, uh, so please help me to disengage from this, because it's lovely, but and uh, <laughs> but time went on, and the Lord uh, changed my mind uh, in another way that was almost miraculous, as I realized, and my father came to realize, especially when he graduated from Wheaton, and he announced in my father's presence that he was going to Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, you had to know that my father came to faith as a result of a ministry of Dallas Theological Seminary. And when he said that, uh, that that cleared away everything, that every mm-hmm. doubt that my dad had. Mm-hmm. Uh, they be actually, be, he, he became sort of the son that my dad never had. But uh, that was the story of how, of how I met him and was married to him. I went, came to Dallas as a new bride. Uh, life changed dramatically for me. And I was still this little girl full of questions. And I, I thought, here, God has given me a theologian because his major was theology. Uh, so I had so many questions. And he would always say to me, sweetheart, 
God has not promised to bless my word. He's promised only to bless his word. So go study such and such, and then we'll talk about it. So mm. I feel like I had sort of an informal theology from Howard Hendricks over a period of a long time. Wow. I knew bits and pieces of that story, but I had never heard it all the way through like that. That That is so amazing. Um, it is amazing. It is, and I, I, I think of it, and I thank the Lord. Uh, but as I say, I now have a wide-angle lens in my old age, mm. and I see how God, piece by piece, was putting me together. And uh, he knew what I needed. I needed Howard Hendricks in my life. And he then, uh, so, so we were married almost 66 years when he when the Lord took him home, about almost eight years ago now. Mm. Uh, but it was a... Uh, it was the, the education that I needed. Now, he was not an easy man to live with. I don't want to, you know, he, he uh, looking at it from his standpoint, when he was 18 years old and had to sign up for the draft, uh, he his father was a military man and wanted him to be in the, the service. Uh, but he had visited his dad in uh, the officer's quarters and he was totally repelled by it. Uh, he had an offer to uh, a scholarship to a nearby hospital for medical scholarship and he was very much interested in becoming a surgeon but the Lord met him and I used to ask him how, how that happened and he said I, I cannot put it into words. He said God met me and I know that uh, it was it was Matthew twenty eight, go and make disciples of all nations, mm. and um, and he had to do it, and he did it. And believe me, when he announced that he was going into ministry, I mean everything came loose in the family. I mean, he, his dad actually told him not to come home if he, uh, you know, if anything went wrong because he he was. Uh, very opposed to that. Yeah, he believed he was wasting his life, was absolutely. The way Howard used to tell it. But yes, he came to Christ just shortly before he died. I mean, my dad did, his father. But uh, anyway, the, 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 the story of how God put him together and me together, and we were so different, but uh, he gave us such a wonderful relationship. And I, I thank the Lord every day. I, I, I'm privileged to live in our house that uh, we downsized because he wanted to be closer to his office. And uh, the house is just filled with his uh, memorabilia and stuff that, so that I, I just am reminded every day how God has been so good to me. Hmm. And I'm, I'm yeah. lost for words. You know, um <sighs> I can remember I can remember prof saying in class of how often students just like me would say I, I want to be I want to be just like you someday I want to have the ministry that you have and um, he would get very very serious at that point and pretty much say do you really because it's easy to want the product 
but none of us would choose the process God uses. And you all did not have an easy life together. I mean, there was there was diabetes, there was cancer, um, even oh, things yeah. that that don't seem to be so serious. But it's it's so interesting how you describe your husband, you know, as this extrovert, this party waiting to happen, and certainly he had that public persona. But um, like me, he was also a card-carrying introvert. And um, he paid a big price to have an extrovert's ministry, but with an introvert's personality. And I know, especially early on in ministry, um, that was hard. There was a there was a draining as he served way outside of his comfort zone. What what was that like for you and and your family? Well, yes, you're right. It was difficult when we were in seminary. We uh, we came in those early days. Uh, Dr. Chafer, the founder of the seminary, was sort of his mentor, uh, and uh, he he had this. So many young Christians have this, and he wanted to win the whole world for Jesus Christ. And he was going like a house of fire. I mean, he sang. His his grandfather was once with the Metropolitan Opera, so he had a lot of musical ability. And he would sing with the quartet at the seminary, which gave live music for a 7.30 Bible study on the radio. So he'd go down to downtown for that. And then he'd go to class, and then he'd go to the library, and then he would go over to the Johnny Mitchell Company to work because he hired the seminary students. And then in the evening, the ballast was segregated at that time, and he would go down to the Southern Bible Training School where the black students studied, and he would teach them because he just loved to teach. Uh, So I didn't see too much of him, and I felt, uh, you know, a little bit overlooked. Uh, but I was so glad when he graduated. But the funny thing is that while well, in his senior year, Dr. Chafer got worried about him because he was just going, you know, night and day. And he sent him to a psychiatrist that was uh, nearby. Uh, and the psychiatrist said to him, among other things, you boys down there at that school want to get us all saved and he said, I just want you to know that some of us is going to hell, whether you like it or not. And he came back and told Dr. Chafer what the psychiatrist had said. And Dr. Chafer said, um, I think that was the voice of God speaking to you, son. Uh, because he had to learn that only the Holy Spirit brings people to Christ. You don't do it as, an, as a person. It's not you. It's the Lord who does this. It was a very basic lesson that he learned early on, uh, very, uh, very determinative in his ministry. Mm. Yeah, and as his ministry grew in popularity, I mean, that meant lots of travel, which, you know, you with with young kids growing up, um, I know I know that part was a challenge, too. Um I mean, how did you? Oh, it was a huge challenge, uh, Phil, because he believed that he was not just for the classroom. He loved to teach, as you know. He was a born teacher. Yes. Adored his students. But he had a heart for the people everywhere. 
as he took it literally from Matthew 28. And he got into the NFL when he was chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys. He ministered with the medical, Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, he was into the uh, business world, went down to Atlanta, and used to talk to the Chick-fil-A people. Um, then uh, he got into the military, took training from them on leadership, and then we uh, we were over in uh, Germany and, and Okinawa with the troops. Uh, so he, he he had this world vision that uh, which he tried then to to uh, to leave the school. He tried to offer his resignation several times because he felt like he needed to be out where he would go to. Like he was the first uh, he was the first faculty member to be sent on a mission trip, and he went down to the Amazon Valley by the the Orinoco River, and and uh, uh, it was it, it was such a broad sweep that he had in his mind. He wanted to meet everybody, and and finally, of course, the seminary uh, had allowed him to uh, to begin the uh, Center for Christian Leadership. Yep, that impacted my life deeply, too. It just seems like every step of Ellen's and my ministry along the way, you and Howard were a big part of it. I mean, favorite professor I ever had. But then you also opened your home, and Ellen and a number of the other wives of of male students went there, and you poured into her life, and, um, you know, and then— That was a fun thing for me to do. Every semester, I had 10 Tuesday nights, as I called it, and I had seminary wives come, and we uh, studied the scriptures and talked together. It was a, it was a tremendous ministry that God gave me, mm. and the uh, privilege as the children grew older then, when my youngest son went to college, the day he left, I remember how he put his arm around me, and he said, now you are all mine. And uh, I need you to go with me. And I said, well, honey, they don't want to pay for two people to fly here or there. He said, if they don't want me, they don't want you. You, they don't want me. So the the upshot of that was that from then on, I traveled with him Mm -hmm. and uh, we went to all over the world. I know, uh, you know, Prof was on the board of Walk Through the Bible, had a lot to do with Walk Through the Bible even being founded, and um, that kept you in, in close contact with Walk Through the Bible for all those years. And um, now you continue to stay engaged with our ministry. I I thank you well, so much for Bible, that. Well, Walk Through the Bible, Phil, excuse me for interrupting you, but Walk Through the Bible was really very impactful in Howie's life. Because of all that you can say, you can, what you can talk and talk and talk, but it's God's word that makes the difference. Yes. And I realize that now in my own life, but I realize that in other people's lives, I've tried to minister to people. I do a fair amount of counseling right now, and and I realize I hear myself talking, but it's only when I tell them what God has said. It really makes the difference. That's why walkthrough is so vital that they get into the Word of God. 
Mm. Well, I sure agree with you. That's why I've chosen to invest my life here. But there's there's no way I would be um, equipped to lead this ministry if it weren't for the ministry of you and and your husband. Um, well, we were just apart. Mm-hmm. One final question, Gene. Uh, the word legacy is a big word, and a, a lot of um, people just shake their heads at that word. So let's set that word aside for a moment, um, but let's put it in practical terms. Um, how do you want to be remembered by those who have known you, whether that's family or or friends or those that God has used you to impact through the years? How, how do you want to be remembered? That's hard to put in. Maybe I should say I'd like to be a sweet aroma that they think of. Um, but these days, you know, as I've told you, the Lord brought me along and grew me up spiritually speaking by giving me his, uh, the belief and the confidence and then the fearlessness that he planted in me and some wisdom. And um, now I'm I'm living in Psalm 91. You know, <clears throat> the hardest thing I've been on a lot of them, but the hardest thing was to to realize that God was taking my husband home. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was ill, and uh, we had hospice here, and um, I knew that he was uh, that the Lord was getting ready to take him. And there's that incredible feeling. I'm trusting you, Lord, but <laughs> uh, and. Uh, and the amazing thing happened. I thought I could never sleep tonight now after he died. He died about 5 o'clock in the morning, and it was a busy day. And then my daughter took me to her house, and I, I cannot go to sleep. But as I got into the bed that night, <clears throat> uh, the Lord brought to my mind Psalm 91. He who dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And um, that whole psalm has been uh, has kept me going, as I realize that uh, I want to people to look at me and see not the widow of, but the extension of this man uh, who made an impression. But he's gone now. He's up with Jesus in heaven uh, safely, and the Lord gave me such a peace about that but now it's like what do you want me to do lord how do you want me to use what do i do without him and god has just given me that sense that i want you to just be i just want you to be uh, able to respond to people (laughs) it's the most amazing thing to me he has brought so many people that i never even dreamed about that would uh, call me up or write me a, an email or whatever to uh, say, I uh, so-and-so told me about you, and and uh, would you answer this question or that? Uh, a very practical thing. I mean, I, I'm just here, but I want them to remember that I did not lie down and do nothing after my husband died. I want to be that sweet aroma that they think of 
that a person who trusted the Lord, I mean, it just sounds so spiritual, but I, it's very practical. God is so personal. He's so practical. And he, the way he has kept me, every need that I have, he has just blessed me. And um, I am, I'm just so totally enveloped in gratitude. That's about all I can say about that. Mm. Gene, it, it strikes me that in many ways this conversation ends up full circle um, because when I hear you talk about the vulnerability of losing the love of your life after more than six decades, um, no doubt that brought lots of questions, lots of struggle. And I'm, I'm picturing that same little girl that our conversation began with that um, believes but yet still struggles with questions and doubts and openly takes those to God and at, at every turn. God has met you where you are, and he's used his word to sustain you. And then as the overflow of that, you have touched Ellen and me and countless other thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, the I'm most important thing now is prayer. Yes. I'm I'm so blessed to call you my friend, and I just thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Well, thank you, Phil. Thank you very much, and I continue to pray for Walk Through the Bible. It's a vital ministry in our world, and you are so honored. I am so honored, and you're so gracious to allow me to tell you my own story. God bless you. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Bye-bye now. What an amazing conversation today on Step Into the Story. You know, my hope is at 94, and I guess I probably ought to start at 63, wanting to live with that kind of passion, that kind of commitment to God and His Word. I hope you were encouraged by Gene's story today. You know, how neat that God is still writing new chapters of His story in her story. That's what we're after every time we gather here. And, you know, while her experience is unique, that's the opportunity that God sets before each of us is to become people of his book and let his story intersect with your story. We'll see you next time as we gather for our podcast. Like us and share us online wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you were as encouraged as I was today, share this with some friends so they too can benefit from it. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast, powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.